So we introduced a uh, bit of new vocabulary, a, a new term, uh, sensing with soul, as a, a possible alternative to the word imaginal for some people, or a complement to it, some uh, a way of phrasing things that perhaps um, gives a slightly different slant or emphasis um, in case that emphasis was sort of um, somewhat unfairly skewed towards the intrapsychic uh, previously for some people. And we said that sensing with soul, um, we could say, just means sensing, um, engaging the senses, being involved with our senses as human beings in ways that um, support, open, uh, and kind of fertilize or bring soul making. Sensing the soul is just uh, sensing in ways that are soulful, that bring soul making. And, and we said that this business, uh, to sense with soul, I would say, uh, is, is so potentially important, uh, um, vitally, crucially important for our being in the world, for how we relate to existence, for how we relate to our uh, the gift of human life, how we relate to each other, how we relate to time, how we relate to uh, nature and the planet, and um, also that the uh, environmental challenges, uh, grave environmental challenges uh, that we face as species at this point, as do other species. Uh, so, for me, there's something here in this whole business that we're trying to get at and trying to shine lights on from different directions that's, as I said, vitally important, meaning to do with life, uh, crucially important, means there's a crossroads here. Uh, uh, um, the, we can relate to our senses in ways that um, close certain doors, um, open doors that we may really not want to uh, uh, open and go down, that may have um, grave consequences or limiting consequences. Or we can find ways to relate to senses that actually um, open up uh, uh, gift and grace and beauty and um, soul. Um, and so I want to dwell a little bit less on giving examples and just a little bit again on um, understanding what, what are we getting at here, what's involved, um, why is this so important. Um, understanding the concepts involved um, allows uh, uh, that vitality to be, uh, to come forth, to come through in our uh, relating to the world. It's it's actually understanding um, that can provide a kind of robustness to this whole endeavor, to this whole exploration, a robustness to uh, our experiences. Uh, so if we have soul-making experiences, we have experiences that touch us, that move us, that seem to have bigger implications, it's one of the things that gives them a kind of grounding and uh, gives them the 
ability or the potential to be more than just ephemeral experiences that we sometimes just then forget or that seem to have no consequence or are easily dismissed or um, don't seem to kind of carry out and bring forth their implications. One of the things is the absence of a conceptual structure that kind of really... um, gives that soil and ground and rootedness and and nourishment and fits it into a context. So for me, this understanding, I realize for some people it's not how they tend to relate to things in terms of concepts and structures and how it all fits together. And, And many of the ideas that we're introducing are quite alien. So I realize that for some people it's quite difficult, for other people it's quite attractive. Um, but there is something I would say, uh, crucial and vital about understanding because that allows the greater vitality um, and uh, of, of what's going on in this business of soul making. Um, it allows and, and uh, offers robustness, durability, fertility to the whole project, the whole exploration. So I want to just dwell just a little bit on and some of the concepts involved. Sensing with soul, uh, we said, was sensing in a way that um, was soul-making. Now, why do we call it soul-making? Because, as I said, the word, if, we, if we define sensing with soul that way, it just begs the question for someone listening, well, what do you mean by soul? Um, what do you mean by soul-making or soulfulness? So why do we call it soul-making? What is made? Um, what is the making? What is soul making? So I've been through this um, in in different ways uh, quite a lot in the last few years, but to, to say it again, um, um, one way we could approach this, um, actually before we even say that, was it soul making? And, and, um, and we pointed out at some point in the last talk we pointed out that this making is not only a passive process. Um, so again, there's a kind of straddling. It can feel to us, and in the in in the movement of soul making, it will feel to us that something is given to us. Images are given to us. Circumstances are given to us. Perceptions open up for us in a way as if there's a greater intelligence operating, as if the soul uh, bestows on us as graces these openings that we call soul making. And yet at the same time, and that's a very important perspective, and at the same time there's a sort of um, if you like, opposite or complementary perspective, it's not only a passive process, this making. Um, so yes, there's a sense of givenness, of grace, of necessity, of something being uh, handed to us. And sometimes uh, that involves what is difficult being handed to us, as well as what is beautiful. Um, so yes, there's all that, but it's not just passive. There is also required in this making our ascent our willing, our choosing, our responsiveness, and our steering, and our desire, our eros. Um, so in the making, it's this uh, uh, mysterious, uh, beautiful, somewhat paradoxical perhaps, um, uh, mixture or, or, or uh, um, encompassing of both the passive sense of receiving, giving, grace, and also of doing um, our making, our choosing, our desire, etc. 
But why do we call it soul making? What is made here? Um, so two ways of, of kind of approaching this. And we could say uh, soul. Soul is made through soul making. What is being made? Well, soul is being made, hence the, hence the word. But then that begs the question, what do we mean by soul? So, um, again, we can approach this in different ways and at different levels, but we could say soul means um, a quality, or rather the, um, if you like, collection of manifold qualities, um, aspects or dimensions that constitute a sense of soulfulness. So, in other words, meaningfulness, um, beauty, a sense of beauty, beauty that touches us, um, uh, uh, an involvement of the imaginal capacity or fantasy, fantastical capacity, um, uh, an ideation or concept or conceptual structure or framework or logos that is stimulated and that can support the whole um, network of elements uh, that the lattice, um, the constellation of what is involved in soul making. Eros is involved, this wanting more connection, wanting more penetration, wanting more intimacy, wanting to know more um, of the uh, erotic other, the beloved uh, erotic object. A sense of theatre, this middle way between uh, real and not real, this infinite echoing and mirroring a sense of theophany, etc., etc., that we've been through. So this constitutes a sense of soulfulness. And soul means the um, the various qualities, the collection, the manifold qualities, aspects or dimensions that constitute a sense of soulfulness. The soul means that, uh, or the way we're using it, and that's what's made. So in other words, soul there is something we recognize, like we recognize soulfulness, we recognize soul, and we recognize soul making phenomenologically, in other words, in our experience, we recognize uh, that um, dimension or those aspects of experience. Second way we can kind of think about soul is, uh, or speak about it, um, is somewhat holding this lightly, as, as an organ of sensing, or an instrument of sensing. So the human organism is, if you like, composed of different organ, organs, and there is, we could think of it, very, very lightly, as, as soul as an organ. It is that, if you like, in us, or perhaps which we are in, um, that which um, senses which again means includes thinking and imagining, that which senses in ways that bring and uh, increase and open a sense of soulfulness. Soul is that organ that senses in ways that um, open, support, uh, and, and deepen a sense of soulfulness. It is an organ of soulful ways of looking. Soul is an organ of soulful ways of looking. So this organ, if you like, which we could put in inverted commas, um, and we can also deconstruct it. So it, it 
by putting it in inverted commas, I mean it doesn't have inherent existence, which means if something doesn't have inherent existence, that we can conceive or view it like this, and we can conceive or view it like that. Uh, it's open and amenable to different ways um, itself, to different ways of being conceived and sensed. Yes? Because soul doesn't have inherent existence, it is not one fixed uh, thing independent of the way of conceiving it and the way of sensing and looking at it. So we can look at it from different angles, different perspectives. So we can deconstruct it further into um, its various elements or aspects or ways of looking or or kind of um, properties or whatever. Um, But we could say um, this soul is this organ um, which is or holds the capacity and ranges of ways of looking that bring soulfulness. So it's a, if you like, it's an organ that employs um, uh, ways of looking that, that, as I said, support or open, nourish soulfulness, sense of soulfulness. And it is this um, organ or instrument or capacity, or, or you could just view it as a ranges of available ways of looking. Soul is, is that, it's more of a, a verb. Um, like soul making, it's just a ranges of ways of looking. Um, and it, it is this organ, this capacity, this instrument, or ranges of a range of ways of available ways of looking that is that is made in soul making, that is built, that is developed. So, two just right there. There's two kind of ways of kind of seeing uh, what we mean by soul or conceiving what we mean by soul, um, the first is a kind of, as I said, a kind of phenomenological recognition. It's an object um, or experience. We have the experience of um, this kind of theophany or beauty or meaningfulness. Um, And the second is the kind of the, if you like, imputed subject of that uh, range of objects or experience. the, this, as I said, organ, uh, organ of ways of looking that brings soulfulness, and we so we can conceive it as kind of a object, if you like, or kind of a subject, or both. Um, soul in the uh, in its activation into the soul making dynamic of eros psychologos, which will. Um, review in a a minute Um, soul makes in other words it creates as well as discovers soulfulness and it creates and as well as discovers it makes soul capacity and soul sensing yes so soul is that capacity to sense that ability to sense in 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 a soulful way in ways that bring soulfulness so it makes the objects, the aspects and dimensions of objects, the subject, the self, the world in cosmopoesis, in sense of divinity, um, with eros, with dimensionality, with beauty, etc., etc. It makes and creates and opens all that up in the very sense of the fabric, the texture of existence, and the sense of what our existence is, and... All that is why that's so important, because that has enormous implications 
for how we live, how we relate to our life, death, and the world around us. It is this openness of uh, and uh, potentially increasing capacity to make soul that is, and, and which means to sense in those ways that is so important. Now, as we just mentioned, um, soul has uh, one, uh, one other way of amplifying what's happening in the soul-making dynamic is that uh, it, it has elements, and, and one way of breaking up the elements is to say that uh, eros and psyche and logos are always involved when there is soul-making, always involved when there is sensing the soul, always involved in the imaginal perception. What that means, uh, we said Eros is this wanting more connection, wanting more contact, wanting more penetration, intimacy, uh, opening to the erotic object, whatever that is, whatever that erotic object is, the what we might call the beloved other. We talked a lot about Eros. Um, and... Uh, psyche, we said one one definition of psyche in this sense was that it's the imaginal faculty. So the sense of image, of sensing with image, if you like. And logos, we said, was the um, conceiving, the notion or ideation or whole conceptual framework that was operating at any time with uh, with with a, a perception. So that all these factors are involved um, when there is a sensing with soul. Uh, there, there has to be eros. There has to be um, the, the Im- image has to be involved, imaginal image, and also um, the some kind of ways of conceiving that um, support that deepening movement and that sensing with soul with all the elements of. Uh, what we call the elements of the imaginal constellation, the elements of soulfulness that we've um, uh, enumerated. In the soul-making dynamic, what we were calling the soul-making dynamic, or the eros-psychologos dynamic, these elements of eros-psychologos interact with each other, they get involved with each other, woven into each other in ways that stimulate their uh, mutual feeding, mutual expanding, uh, enriching, complicating, deepening, and widening. widening. Uh, this can happen in many ways. One of the ways, uh, one of the most obvious ways that it happens is because Eros, if you heard in the definition, has that more in it. It wants more. So whenever there's Eros, there is the enjoyment of what is present and the appreciation and the beauty there. And at the same time, it has uh, pothos in the eros. And pothos is the uh, Greek divinity who of infinite wanting, of wanting always more. So within it, eros has this pothos that um, no matter what beauty and what depth and what richness it has, it's always got an element of wanting more. Rather than being a problem in the way that craving is a problem, this endless uh, thirst that the Buddha talked about, tanha, um, creating more and more suffering, keeping us on the wheel of rebirth, there's something 
creative and stimulating and fertilizing about this pothos within the eros, this wanting always more. It um, orients itself to what is beyond what it already knows, what it already fully experiences, what it's already fully familiar with. It, if you like, discovers beyonds. It also casts out and creates beyonds. And it sets itself in relation to, in erotic relation of longing, if you like, or just desire, or impetus, or um, dynamic towards that beyond. In doing so, uh, it then finds, creates and discovers more beyonds in the sense of what is going on, in the sense of the object, the the imaginal sense of the beloved other is deepened, widened, given more aspects and dimensions. All this is created, discovered, also in the self, in, in that imaginal constellation, and then in the world. So eros, because of the pothos, um, always constitutes a uh, a beyond, um, and and that beyond uh, it it wants to move into, it wants to penetrate, it wants to open to what is more, and that engages and stimulates and fertilizes the whole eros psyche logos dynamic. When there is more beyond than perceived, then um, uh, we could say the image is enriched, and then that greater image, um, the, the greater beauty of it, and dimensionality, and aspects, and compl- complexities of it, uh, it stimulates more eros, etc. And then at some point, maybe the, the, I, the whole idea of what what is going on here, what am I in relationship to, who is this that is in relationship, what is, what is myself, what is the soul, what is this looking, what is this eros, what is this world around that I perceive, the whole idea, not just the sense or the Im- image, of the imaginal image of all that, but also the, um, the whole idea, the notion, the logos of all that also gets stretched. It has to get stretched. So either our previous ideas are shattered and they get um, reconstituted, if you like, in a larger way that can encompass what we're experiencing, or they just get stretched gradually in this whole gradual movement of the soul-making dynamic. Um, So this can be uh, very, you know, over time, either at sudden junctures where there's a kind of breaking of the vessels, or, or much more gradually in this kind of elastic stretching over time. Um, So, just to point out something there, um, in this beyond, Eros has an element of um, impetus to transcend. But the impetus to transcend can be, um, as we've pointed out, a lot in previous uh, retreats, the impetus to transcend can be beyond the appearances, beyond the object, or it can be a transcending in the sense of transcending what just the limitations of of our idea and image of what we are presented with, what we are encountering, and and. Uh, in that way, it stretches rather than going beyond into a kind of fading of appearances, the transcendent um, beyond of un- unfabricating. Uh, it's actually the, the the beloved other itself and the self, whatever eros and soul-making dynamic kind of um, gets involved with that 
object um, or yes other uh, gets gets expanded. So there's a kind of transcending of the limits, but not beyond the object so much as beyond just what was known of the object. So more gets created, discovered, more dimensions, more aspects, more beauties, all of that. Uh, so in a sense, Eros has this um, push or, or, or impetus or, or, or longing uh, or direction of um, we could call it transcending, we could call it transgressive. Um, in other words, literally moving beyond boundaries, uh, moving beyond limits. Uh, so, I'm just mentioning this as a sort of side point, but uh, because of this pothos in Eros and, and the constitution of, of, of the beyond Eros, um, we could say or, or wonder, does it need to be transgressive? Does it need to tr- go across boundaries, go across wherever there's a boundary, Eros will push across that in different ways. Does, it, it does Eros in a, in a way constellate or create transgression? Now, transgression, if you're familiar with that word, often has a kind of moral implication, doesn't it? Um, But I really mean it in a much broader sense. Transgression of any kind, it may be moral. Um, It may be uh, um, a transgression of of category or type or um, uh, behavior or uh, divisions. Um, But transgression implies this otherness something other than what is what was within the limit, something beyond. Um, Eros, as I said, needs and creates othernesses and beyondness. When people um, have affairs or um, uh, you know, find themselves um, drawn to or attracted or, or they're they can only be kind of sexually or romantically stimulated in in certain conditions um, or environments or when something's happening that's a little taboo, that's a little transgressive in or a lot transgressive in the moral sense. I wonder whether what's really part of what's really happening there is is it's this um, this natural impetus of eros to to consolate a beyond which it then wants to explore and and dive into and open to um, it wants to or it does need and constellate a, a transgression but that transgression is actually m- much potentially much bigger if we're al- if we allow ourselves the whole uh, involvement of psyche and logos the imagination and the logos and dimensionality and all that uh, so it's perhaps a kind of limited or constrained or thin uh, manifestation of a of a movement uh, of a transgressive movement and impetus in eros, which is really a th- as I said a thinner and poorer and limited um, manifestation of um, of something much larger and more essential and and much more potentially fruitful. Um, and, and and more giving rise to more uh, uh, supportive of soul making than those kind of um, purely sort of uh, the, the turn on of some kind of taboo often is.
So again, I'm dwelling on the conceptual framework or the understanding of what's really involved uh, when we're sensing the soul and what's really involved or one way of understanding what's involved in the soul-making dynamic. Um, I'm dwelling with that and looking at it from different angles and trying to shine uh, light on different aspects of it because I really uh, I really think uh, and I see that understanding the larger picture, understanding the dynamic, how soul-making works, what it involves, what supports it, um, understanding that, um, really digesting it conceptually in ways that we can actually uh, bring it, uh, uh, engage it in our practice and in our experience, that understanding of the dynamic will be so, so helpful, so fruitful, really gives the whole um, movement of soul-making much more power, range, fertility. Also, it, it, it brings a beauty in itself. We, we see the whole thing when we understand it more. Uh, as we understand it more, the, the whole thing uh, emerges to us or is revealed to us as something of much more power and beauty and consequence. So that's why I'm um, dwelling a little bit on these elements of the dynamic. Uh, so let's... let's uh, say a few more things about it. If we consider these elements, um, Eros, Psyche, and Logos, and central, uh, if you like, aspects, they're really parts of the same thing, but we could divide them into three, as I've I've said before, uh, divide that whole soul-making process into three as if they were separate. Um, But to say a little bit about it, it, it seems to me that it might be generally true to uh, to say that eros is more um, labile, um, more uh, sub, sus, subject to change, more changeable than um, psyche, than image, and which is in turn more labile, more changeable uh, than the logos. Um, so it seems like there's a kind of between the three terms or aspects of this trinity, there's a sort of gradation of how uh, mercurial they are, how changeable they are, how labile they are. So Eros, and you'll, again you'll notice this if you if you engage these practices and you really uh, notice what's going on and track your own experience, Eros comes and goes and fluctuates, it ebbs and flows relatively quickly. Um, even even over over a few minutes, the the eros is sort of coming and going, and and getting stronger and weaker and disappearing and coming back. And um, uh, an image, the the psyche aspect, tends to stay f- f- a while, though it does need some focusing on and steadying. So we need to kind of engage the um, psyche aspect, the image, and hold it hold it in a way that it can stay steady. But it tends to be once it's there, it can tend to be relatively steady, and within that, the eros in relation to that image can can ebb and flow up and down. The uh, 
concepts involved, the, the logos aspect, tend to be even more steady, less changeable. Um, they expand or shatter only under greater or more sustained pressure. In other words, repeatedly um, sensing this kind of whole other dimension of being that we get when we, uh, when the eros opens up the image um, again and again, or uh, or if it's very uh, marked, um, only under greater or more sustained pressure does the logos uh, change, move, uh, stretch, or or shatter. Um, though with practice. Um, we can be quite agile and quite flexible in deliberately moving between different conceptual frameworks. And and again, this is something I would really encourage. It's almost like you can just look at something with a certain logos and then switch, move agilely, uh, look at it with with a different logos, a whole different conceptual framework. And that's uh, very much available to... uh, with the maturing of practice is something I would really like to encourage. And all of that agility and flexibility of conceptual frameworks fits into this much larger logos that um, is partly a function of the whole deep teaching of emptiness and dependent rising to be able to open up, that it legitimizes that and allows it and gives us that permission and that kind of uh, um, ontological and metaphysical uh, legitimation of that. Um, okay, now again, if we just dwell with, with this trinity and the Psyche Logos and the dynamics involved in that, um, and, and just say a bit more about Logos, the Logos in the soul-making dynamic, in the Psyche Logos dynamic, um, doesn't expand only when the sense of the image or the sense of the self expands, when the psyche expands. What can happen, again, you will recognize all this as as you really, if you really get into these practices and this way of uh, approaching things and exploring this territory. Um, when there is eros for logos, in other words, when we see the beauty of the whole uh, f- framework and the whole f- if you like, the beauty of the um, conceiving function of the soul. When there is eros for the logos, and we're attracted towards that, and it, it becomes something uh, that is um, uh, beautiful, attractive, has a beyond to it, divine di- uh, dimension, you know, has dimensionality. When there is eros for logos, the logos is ignited through that eros. And this igniting of the Logos engenders more um, creation and discovery of new concepts and new conceptual frameworks. You understand? So it's not just through the the psyche. There can be a direct erotic connection with Logos itself, with um, the whole conceptual framework, but also with um, um, uh, the the very... uh, element of the soul that we call logos, the very capacity uh, or that, that, that part of the instrument that we call logos. And then that engenders more creative, it's like there's a whole activation of the whole logos um, structure or, or strand of the, of the soul and the, all kinds of creativity and discovery in regard to concepts and conceptual frameworks is, is born from that erotic connection with logos when that gets going. 
Um, and, of course, the whole um, Eurocyclogus dynamic might itself be stimulated into expansion when the Logos itself is directly stimulated. Again, not, not just by the, the sense of uh, the image, the imaginal sense, opening to, to, to then knocking on Logos's doors and limits and saying something needs to stretch here. It can be... Um, Logos can be directly stimulated, directly stretched, or shattered, or ignited by something one reads, or something one hears, um, a concept, um, a thought, a concept, or, or, or a thought or a concept that arises spontaneously in the mind. And that uh, stimulates the Logos di- directly to expand, to stretch, to enrich and complicate, deepen, uh, to, to come alive, to come on fire. So there, there are different ways, uh, perhaps different styles um, uh, that each of the elements of this trinity sort of operate under, but also different ways in. It's not always the eros stretching the psyche, which then stretches the logos eventually at some point, if there's enough sustained um, pushing on that and expansion of that. Um, there's many ways these elements can kind of get stimulated, involve each other and fertilize each other. So we could say, and I think it's, it's pretty fair to say, soul makings, um, it's complex. So what we're trying to unfold here in this kind of vision or logos or conceptual framework of the whole business that we're talking about um, is complex. It's not um, easy to understand. And... Um, uh, it's not easy to explain either and, and sum up in a nutshell and it's quite foreign, it's quite alien to our um, usual ways of thinking in, in modern society. Um, and I, I would also add probably the way we're conceiving it is it would be alien to, um, to uh, ancient and pre-modern societies as well. Um, and in... Um, somewhat light-hearted justification of, of this difficulty, I, um, I quote Richard Feynman, the Nobel Prize-winning um, physicist, uh, quite a character and a beautiful spirit, and uh, he won a Nobel Prize for his um, pioneering work on, on quantum electrodynamics. And um, uh, and the, the, the day he won, that was informed that he'd won the Nobel Prize, um, you know, the phone doesn't stop ringing and all these reporters flock to his house and they, they want an interview and photos and, and the rest of it. And so there's this uh, uh, one reporter comes to him and sticks a microphone under his uh, in his face and, and says, um, Professor Feynman, can you, um, can you uh, explain your theory in, in uh, five minutes for, the, for our audience? <laughs> and Feynman uh, looks at him and says... Do you think that if I could explain this theory in five minutes, that it would be worth a Nobel Prize? Um, so some things are uh, are complicated, are unusual in terms of the way uh, they, uh, they 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 stretch the thinking, um, are difficult to explain, and um, and can't necessarily be summed up very simply. Uh, until one has the sort of uh, the familiarity and the experience with the terms, and then you can kind of sum things up in a nutshell. Um, so, 
it would probably be the case that Feynman might have been able to explain his theory when people were already relatively familiar with it. Um, <clears throat> but then there's a lot being implied in, in, in the word spoken. And I, I'm pretty sure that I must have said in the past, but I'm going to repeat it now, just about um, sometimes, you know, I've, I've said a couple of things or a couple of um, directions into potentially defining what we mean by soul uh, earlier in this talk. But, <clears throat> but also, <coughs> I'm, I sense this is a repeat, and if it's not, it's really important that I'm saying it now. It's even important to repeat it. Um, the word soul, or the concept soul, the idea of soul, um, like other kind of really um, crucial and important and sort of fundamental words like love, or like dharma, or like self, um, actually like anything or concept that really matters deeply to us and to our sense of existence, like the word love does, like if you're a, a, a committed, a really dedicated practitioner, like the word dharma does, like self, like soul. Um, in a way, there's a kind of they're kind of undefinable, and they need to retain a certain dimension of undefinability. That is, they need to not. It's important that they not get trapped in a logos, in in a conceptual conceiving and a conceptual framework that is too tight, too rigid, too narrow, so that, um, in our terms, eros, psyche, and logos can expand and in, enrich themselves and get complicated and deeper and wider in relation to that very concept. In other words, soul-making can happen um, at in, in relation to soul, so that the very idea, the very concept of soul is something that, that soul-making gets hold of and expands. Why? Because it's expanding the logos. It enriches, deepens, widens, stretches, shatters, opens, um, complicates that very concept. Do you understand? The idea and the sense of soul um, keeps will keep opening, deepening, getting richer. Um, it is in itself fertile. If I lock it in too tight and too narrow and too limited and rigid a definition, it can't be fertile. Or it, it, its fertility is limited. And when we say undefinable, we don't mean nonsense or um, non-existent. Soul is just a nonsense concept because you can't define it or it just doesn't um, exist. We don't mean that. Um, and nor do we mean that realizing its undefinability, we then think that um, that implies or kind of suggests that, that, that we um, just shrug and turn away from the idea of soul because it's just a kind of silly concept because it's not strictly and rigidly and tightly and precisely definable. Actually, just the opposite. Um, it's kind of, if we like, we have defined it, um, it, it with quite a lot of words and from a different few different perspectives, but it's, if you like, ultimate undefinability, it um, opens or furnishes space uh, for uh, a kind of never-ending creativity of exploration. It allows this never-ending creation and discovery um, in the exploring, in the conceiving, in the, in the logoi, um, and it's this never-ending exploration uh, that is soul-making and is fertile. Yes.
And one last point for now in all this. Um, we have said, again, it's a repeat, but it's important to say that um, as it, as soul-making gets going and there's um, the uh, fertility of the Eros Psychologos dynamic and the, the discovery and the creation of beyonds and more dimensions and more um, sensitivities and discernments um, in both the image and in the sense of eros and in in ideas themselves in 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 the element of logos um that creation discovery essentially makes in the making of soul more distinctions are made they're made to perception they're made to conceiving they're made to nuance they're made in the realm of emotion um and so making distinctions is part of what is um what happens in soul making it's an element we 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 get more the whole thing gets more nuanced um we discern between this and that so for example between eros and craving um many just uh if you like an infinite sort of birthing creating and discovering of uh distinction making discernment making um not purely conceptual also in in the body in the ways we relate to to and with the body in the very sensitivity of the psyche and the consciousness and the organism and the sensing and also in the concepts so soul making brings distinctions and certain distinctions also um making distinctions also opens up and supports the possibility fertilizes the possibility of soul making uh so that for example again the distinction between eros and craving uh is supportive of the whole endeavor of soul making if we if we if we just um limit uh, uh desire to just it's it's all craving which is way too simplistic that won't serve soul making um or even if we um just limit it as um talked about in um uh it's it's just either unskillful desire craving or it's a skillful desire kusala desire uh, chanda for um the elements of um the eightfold path or the factors of awakening etc that too is not a fine enough a nuanced enough distinction to support uh, the conceptual elements and the experiential elements that are part of soul making so soul making um engenders the making of dis- distinctions discernments uh, fine discernments all kinds of discernments all kinds of levels and, and aspects of our being um soul making involves making discernments and distinctions delineations and certain delineations distinctions and discernments um support and open and fertilize and catalyze soul making catalyze this a uh, process of uh creation and discovery okay let's stop there um as i say it's a third time now just in this one talk there's a there's um a whole other level of beauty and import that becomes apparent that is revealed to us and a whole other um level of implication and power that um 
also get revealed to us when we understand the um, conceptually when we really get a working understanding that means in practice not just purely intellectual abstractly intellectual but in practice we get a working understanding <coughs> of the elements involved in soul making and what it means and what sensing the soul means and that's why I'm uh, dwelling on them <coughs>